Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello and welcome to HivriaCast. I am so excited. It is, I'm really excited because I remember the episode numbers. So this is episode 30. And I'm so excited to welcome a person I consider now a friend and also someone who I really admire, Isaiah Rothstein. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. How you doing? Loving it. So good to be here. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. You're already yeah. loving it? I mean, listen, for our viewers, they don't know that. They're not t- viewing, been, just so you know. I just, oh, they're, they're, I mean, they're looking at something. <laughs> aren't they? I guess. That's a good point. I just, I just want to say, though, that I've, I've enjoyed every moment of, of today so far, and uh-huh. I'm excited um, to join the Chavria podcast family oh, and, uh, and to be number 30. It's amazing. <laughs> you're excited about that? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited that you're excited. Yeah. Um, Thanks for the coffee. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so why don't you tell, usually, usually, you know, we start with, tell us a little bit about what you do. And yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name again you is do, Isaiah. And you do like so many things. Right. right? So, so I, I don't know how we're going to. Well, do it this. was it was interesting because when yeah. you asked me about the things that I do, my immediate um, like like drive was to just tell you where I'm from. Okay, and then somehow Let's do you that. know the narratives of like our stories mm. somehow bring us to what we do on some level. Isaiah, I think this is why I wanted you on. Oh, so I, yeah, <laughs> I feel very strongly about that. You know, I, I mean, I was raised in Muncie, New York. I was raised in a right, mixed race. So that's race. already a whole story. It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. One time I was at a program, a Kwanzaa. Uh-huh. Um, program at Queens College, speaking to the faculty and administration of Queens, uh-huh. um, and I was speaking about diversity. And when I when I said that I grew up in a mixed race family in Muncie, New York, <laughs> in the Orthodox community, they all started laughing. And <laughs> really? I said, I said, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so starting with Muncie, I guess wow. is, is exciting. Um, yeah, so I was raised in a mixed race family in Muncie, New York. I, you know, my family's journeyed and experienced identity and and struggles with identity in many places, in many different uh, platforms. I would say in in my community upbringing, um, you know, on the one hand, as many of our Chabad and Lubavitch friends know, most Lubavitchers don't have sidewalks; they don't have payout. But you know, my family picked a school for us that was more Lithuanian. So until the age of ten, I had sidewalks. Um, Peyote. Wait, so you grew up, your parents are Chabad? Yes. I had no idea. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, what I usually tell people is that I was raised Lubavitch and, um, (laughs) you know, I'm Jewish and I'm Orthodox and, um, you know, I have a big and section (laughs) next to a lot of the things that I do. Um, yeah. And so do you still consider yourself uh, Lubavitch? You know, um, no. I, I, you know, my, my immediate reaction is to see myself as a citizen of the world, but I know that for dialogue and conversations, identity markers are super important. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta own up to, to be in Hebrew cast, especially we, you need to, I, you're going to turn a box. You need in. to label. Is that yourself? what this was about? That's right. You need to put yourself in a box. Okay. Label it. This was not <laughs> in the email invite. I'm just telling you right now. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing about like, you know, when you, when you come to to think about, um, you know, these, these ideas that we have identity markers that sometimes don't maybe fit Mm -hmm. to 
than the the regular platform that you live in. You know, so for example, if if you're contextually um, in a place where let's say creativity was just not allowed, mm. um, is that where how you felt? That no, not at all. Um, if anything, creativity was the center. But as an example, oh wow, as an example. Okay. Um, you know, or if you're in an environment, they, the environment in my particular story is like if you're in an environment where, where like the status quo and the normalized experience for the Jewish community was to be white mm-hmm. and to be Ashkenazi um, and to be Orthodox, like that experience for my family, it, it fit mostly because we are Ashkenazi and we are Orthodox as a family, but to to also be a mixed race family, like, you know, set us apart and, and gave us opportunities in a lot of ways and also you know, navigating that, um, as a child was, was interesting. Um, but you know, where it's, where it's brought me to, and I'll tell you a little bit about what I do currently. Um, you know, I was raised in, I was raised in a family where I was raised in a family where I had the opportunity to really, um, meet different kinds of, of, um, Jews and non-Jews. Um, you know, as, 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 um, you know, having a mother who was raised Methodist, um, living in Chicago. Wow. Um, you know, on my Thanksgiving kind of weekends, I would go out to California and I would be there with my uncle Baba and my grandmother and my other cousins. And I would joke that I would be like the white, white sheep of the family, you know, (laughs) where I, and, and it would be amazing. We would have these gatherings, song circles and, you know, any of the stereotypes of like what it looks like to have just like the black soul, like behind music and the singing and, you know, the spirit of gospel and, and song using music as a, as a place for gathering is, is a part of my, uh, my childhood memories of my family and my family on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my father being like a Lubavitch chassid, like every, you know, Friday night, there was that specific place every single night, at this, every single Friday night at the exact time in the, in the meal where my father would start singing certain nagunim, certain songs and melodies of Lubavitch and also being able to hear songs from Motown, you know, the, wow. the next day or to hear so- the freedom songs or Negro spirituals or the sort. And, you know, and then all the, of course, all the classic NCSY um, songs as well as I, <laughs> as I, as I got older. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, uh, other, other things I should say about that. Keep me going. Yeah, I'll just keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, so, the, you know, the journey, the story of, of how, I guess, how I was raised, we all have our own our own unique stories. And I don't see my story as um, something to be tokenized, but I do see it as, like, a medium for for dialogue and to recognize that, like, it really is the, the more we honor where we're from, like, the more we have the ability to own our, our true selves. And then from there, we have the ability to really express ourselves in our communities with a full heart, with, you know, with a strong voice. And so honoring our stories. And since, so that's why, as you were asking what I do, like, I really feel like it's a good thing to start with where you're from before you say what you do. Um, the more we, the more we empower each other to tell our stories, the more we start with stories, as we know, is like a bedrock of community organizing. The more we hear stories and tell our stories, like, you know, we know that that's a biblical mitzvah to tell the story of the Jewish people. And so, wow. Um, cool. Yeah. So it's interesting cause your st- story, I feel like it's such a great, like, it's interesting cause then I can think of the things that I know that you're involved in and I can kind of, kind of see where, 
how like it could it might have originated there. That's like a very cool hmm. way of approaching it. Just because, like, so for example, you do bechol Ashon, right? Right. Which is, uh, do you want to like? Say yeah, I would love that? to. Yeah, yeah. So bechol Ashon is um, was actually the name of a study that was published um, nearly twenty years ago that pointed to the fact that um, the Jewish community is is way more racially and ethnically diverse than we could have thought. Um, the study said that 20% of the Jewish community in North America is racially and ethnically diverse. Um, you know, some would say 10% of that is for Sephardi or Mizrahi. Another group would say 10% of that is for uh, Jews of color. Um, but this study turned into an organization that was about promoting and celebrating the racial and ethnic and cultural diversity of the Jewish people. Mm. Um, so I was involved with them before I started working with them as their rabbi in residence. Um, you know, I would write for them on my Jewish learning and I would public speak at places where I would speak about social equity in general, uh, marginalized groups and, you know, the experience of how I was raised in Muncie, New York. And, yeah. um, and then from there, you know, I, I got hired and their work is, is work that as we know, many, many people are called to in this generation. Um, yeah. And so that's how we met too, right? It was because we were on this diversity panel yeah. in Limud. Oh, great call. Which was super weird. That is where we met. <laughs> that was quite the panel. <laughs> I don't think anybody on the panel, well, that, that was the comforting part. Sometimes yeah. you're like, am I the only one who doesn't know what's going on right now? <laughs> and you just don't want to say anything. But I feel like we all kind of looked at each other and we're just like, so, all right, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. The worst part about that was that I turned down being a moderator, and I think that turned the whole thing into chaos because there was no like Dude, real moderator. I'm not gonna I lie. I probably should not have done I that. I also turned oh, down. Oh, you turned down. So, so listen, funny. the onus is on both of us. It's okay. Wow. It's okay. I thought you were about to be like a lot. How could you do that? And then, um, I would have, but, but we're, on, <laughs> we're on the record. I didn't want to go down as that, that guy. So funny. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I remember that the question actually of that panel was, um, right, um, what does diversity look like in the 21st century, something like that, or what Jewish diversity, Jewish diversity should look like, can look like, doesn't right. look like. Yeah, that was really interesting. And Abby Stein was on Abby that Stein, too, right? yes. Yeah. But um, you know what's interesting also is I recently, like the last four Hebrew casts have felt like crazy revealed Ashkacha Pratis, like, because... You know, we had this Karlbach one, and then we had um, just all these, like, I don't know, it was just really fascinating in terms of timing of, discuss like, national discussions and personal yeah. discussions and that sort of thing. And so it's just interesting to me to have you on now just because I'm just, it's just hit me that, like, a week and a half ago I had this piece in the foreword about, like, realizing I'm a Jew of color, kind of, like, or opening mm. up that part of myself, you know, Um so it's so it's kind of cool, like that. Yeah, because I'm thinking about that now as you're talking about your own experience. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, it's it's awesome when you finally feel like you can crack a code to yourself and your identity, and not to say that we're ever figured out, um, but sometimes um, our thoughts and our feelings are so suppressed by what society demands of us or what the people around us um, assume us to be. Sometimes even though those assumptions are wrong, we can fall into things. And so whenever I think it's a, it's a victory for the, the spirit um, when, when we're able to just kind of even question yeah. parts of our identity because we somehow find ourselves in places where we can't question parts of our identity. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I would love to hear what, so what, what like triggered that like what brought up those 
<laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was something I was thinking about, but the truth was that the, the, my editor had asked me, like, do you consider yourself a Jew of color? And, like, <laughs> do you want to write about it? And, and so that was kind of why I started the article. If you remember the article, it goes off, I'm a Jew of color, I think. You know? oh. That's actually the title, too. They made that the title. <clears throat> but because that was, like, literally my response to her, <laughs> basically. Because I was like, I think so. Yeah. And I guess I could write about it, like, you know. Um, and I think that sparked, like, that sparked something in me, I think. But then I think it was also just all these conversations happening in the world right now are bringing, like, as I wrote there, I think it's, like, in general, people are owning who they are in a more total way. And I, I think it's... um it kind of makes me sad that people, and it says maybe even understatement, but like that people politicize it and make it like, oh, we're doing identity politics and this and that because it's like, this is like a profound thing for people to acknowledge who they are and where they came from and mm-hmm. and and um, and not just think of the parts of themselves that fit into the whole, you know? Right. Um, it's like really special, I think. Yeah. So I think I think that is happening in the world, but I think, and I think the all this discussion around it is is spark. Like I think that's why. Like I can't, I've talked. I think the last like six episodes I've talked about Me Too at least once. But like because I think it's so crazy to me. It blows my mind because it's really a bunch of like fifty percent of our population just being like, here's my experience, here's mm-hmm. who I am, and we're we're share we're sharing this, and and yeah. I think there's something extremely powerful. Unfortunately, it's like around negative experiences, but um, it's also a thing that is just, like, beyond empowering yeah. people, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it, it reminds my middle name is Joseph, um, and uh, it reminds me of the biblical narrative of Joseph, of how he was literally in Egypt, you know, um, betrayed by his family for almost, for almost 20 years, uh-huh. and for him to for him to struggle every single day for those 20 years without a word being said about it where mm. he couldn't have been heard. And then suddenly he's, he's given this opportunity where he has the, where he has the floor, where he, where his, his family's finally before him. And he even manipulates everyone until they're <laughs> all there. Like, because he needed them, he needed his brothers to be present. He needed to be heard. And, and, you know, in my, in the places where I go and I speak and when I have opportunities to create programming, um, also with Chazon, I work at Chazon as well, um, as a rabbi in residence. And both of these organizations, B'chol Hashon and Chazon, are really about, um, systemic change in the Jewish community, um, and, and our impact on the outer and greater world, um. You know, so as much as we would say B'chol Hashon is a Jewish diversity organization, it's really about creating healthier and sustainable ecosystems for conversation and dialogue in the Jewish community. As much as people feel like Chazon is an environmental justice organization or a food organization, it's really about creating sustainability for how we approach Jewish community for the coming generation. I have no idea what that means. Yeah? I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, feel free <laughs> I to interrupt. I don't understand that. So, I, mean, I think you said that to me before, once before, yeah. but well, it's let's, let's pick it apart. All right, and let's I mark the tangent. Be, we'll get back to I'm the gonna, other piece. Yeah. yeah, but I don't mean to be annoying. No, please. But it's like there's so many buzzwords in there. What does that mean, though? Sustainable. Okay. So, okay. What is this? Yeah, I mean, 
Because I hear that word a billion times, and what I think is it loses its meaning. You know? Listen, I think I can give you my definition of sustainability. I will also tell you that people get together on marketing teams and branding teams, <laughs> and they talk about how they want to use that word sustainable. So, but I'll tell right, you. Right, no, but that's my point. Right, so from, so from the language of Chazon, which their tagline is Jewish Inspiration, Sustainable Communities, yeah. um, there may be particular languages used on the website, but to my understanding... Um, sustainable means that we are visitors on this planet and ultimately there are inheritors. We are inheritors of this planet. Um, we are inheritors of conversations. We are inheritors of ideas. Um, we're inheritors of systems. And so recognizing where systems, um, have pathology, where systems, um, don't work or are, or are, um, so systems falling behind, yeah. You're talking about like like cultural, cultural, and yeah. So so yeah, systems typically take on um, language of society. Okay. Um, there's usually you know a, a, a code of ethics and 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 a philosophy and a vision for a system and how it should be functioning. Um, you know, there are systems of oppression, unfortunately, that are that are actually built into the fabric of our society. That yeah. right. So systems in general. So when looking at our world, you know, um, and we look at different things in our, our communities, we ask ourselves, okay, is this particular system sustainable? Like, you know, and, um, the language of sustainable communities could be really broad. It's true, but it's, it's asking like every conversation to me, it it starts with every conversation. Like if I don't have dialogue with my partner Mm -hmm. ever, right. And I'm expected to build a a dynasty, so to speak, also known as a family <laughs> with, with, with that person. And there's no dialogue wow. that is not sustainable. Right. Um, mm, I love that. That's if we, okay. if we use our, our, the, our energy sources, both definitely talking about electricity and natural gas and all those things, but also talking about our spiritual energy sources and our faculties in general. And we use them in ways that are actually going to be hurting us in the long run. Is that, is that sustainable to us in the long run? Like as an individual that gives all the time, but I'm never receiving, let's say, is that sustainable in the long run? Right. So language of sustainability is more about like the system that you're operating, whether it's your own inner clock and of who you are, or, you know, organizational platforms or really society at large, like are the systems in place sustainable, right? Mm. And will they serve my grandchildren? Mm. I'm young, I'm 29. So I'm, when I think about my grandchildren, I'm a single guy. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> yes. I had to get that No, one. it's true. It's true. For all of you who have been listening to Javier. Are there any eligible Javier people? No, podcast. I... <laughs> a lot of love throwing in private jokes. And so me being single is definitely... Um, somehow a joke for a lad. Oh, <laughs> you just made me feel so guilty about that. No, and, and for all of our listeners, there's very big smiles on both of our faces. This is all, this is all good. Yes. Yeah. Interviewers. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. It's it a callback. Oh, got it. Oh, right. is, that what we, is that what we do? I mean, right. I'm just saying that's like a comedic, uh, tool. Oh, so. Because no. I called back to what we were talking about earlier. And, and, and as they say in Yemen, I'm, I'm not holding. I'm not holding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I completely so that took like, us on a tangent. But no, that, I think we... that was important. I, we were talking, right. yes, we were speaking about um, sustainability, dialogue, mm-hmm. 
Um, so, so those are both of these organizations I mentioned, but then coming back to our identities and how we talk right. about identity okay. in, in, um, in 20 high in 2018, um, right. The fact that there maybe wasn't a platform for you to even think about that right. until now right. is like a question mark, right? Like it's right. like, you know, I worked in hospice care actually <clears throat> for two years where, uh, wow. working with people in end of life was really intense because you get all of it. You get, you just, you see you see human experience from, you know, the, the will last will and Testament Testament to the funeral itself, to sibling rivalry, to parent on, on, you know, salt parent child dynamics. And sometimes the children are in their seventies. Like it's sometimes the parents are in their hundreds and, and, um, you know, having clients where, um, I'm also a social worker. Um, in addition to, yeah, I, I'm not practicing at the moment, but I use those skills, I think, on a regular basis. But, I, you know, what I would say is that being with people where... You're a social worker? I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. I have my MSW from Wurzweiler, Yeshiva University. What, what? <laughs> if I don't know if anybody feels that, you know, that what, what, um, but that's how I feel when I think wow. of why, yeah. Good for you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so but just that idea that you can come to an age of eighty or eighty-five and not actually have your own voice intact, like how could uh, how could that ever happen? Where you're saying like where a person hasn't fully lived out who they always wanted to be, kind of yeah, where somehow their aspirations have only been awoken in the in that decade, like where in their seventies and eighties, and they somehow feel like they never thought for themselves or feel like they've, you know, and where they feel it. And and I wouldn't say that that's everyone, but I would say that in general, that voice of desperation in in our generation, Jewish and non-Jewish of like connectivity of trying to understand, to be understood, like, right. Feeling so misunderstood to not feel like, you know, there's a problem in the system, right? It's systemic. It's this idea of that it's not sustainable for us ourselves as individuals and as a community to not have space for people to even ask these questions. So the fact that you're even getting to the, I think mm-hmm. is like a further place than not thinking about it at all. You know? Yeah. That's really interesting. I remember even, I hope, <laughs> I think it's okay to say this. My, um, remember when I was a kid, um, my, it's such a random memory. so interesting. But when I was a kid, my, I think I got like, I'm trying to remember what the context of it was. I think I got kind of like, you know, I told you I got made fun of a little, like it was before I grew up, like there were kind of two stages of my childhood. One was, I was living in Connecticut where it was very non-Jewish and white and that sort of thing. And then I was living in a very white Ashkenazi Jewish secular place after that. So in the, in, when I was living in Connecticut, um, I remember being like kind of made fun of for, you know, my skin color or whatever. And I remember telling my mom that, and I remember her saying something like, like, you're white. Did you know you're white? And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And, uh, she was like, no, you're, because like, I think because of her thinking, like she was explaining like on a technical level, like the way, um, like Sephardim are technically white, Hmm. you know, like by categorization, Hmm. I think like at the time, I didn't process it. Like I was just, and it was interesting because I remember being like, yeah, okay, I'm white, you know? And I think that was like, that's, it's so interesting to like look back on. And I, I am sure now that my mom would not say that to me now, you know? And I think it's so interesting the way we kind of live out these identities and, and how 
the friction between like our self perception and other people's perceptions of us is such a a fascinating experience. Mm. So like where I have to own this thing, but on the other hand, I also lived like a part of my life being like I'm white, you know. Um, and that's an interesting. Yeah, thing. you're you're touching upon um, something that a, a lot of the folks that I know and a lot of my colleagues and co- conspirators think about a lot, and you know. When it comes to, you know, and not to go fanciful with language again, but like the black-white dichotomy of America, meaning the fact that this country is built upon race uh, as a central tenet and right. for how the, co- the country has been um, navigated and as well as the vision of the country in terms of how it looks within the rest of um, the world. And, and so in that, in that context where do the Jewish people fall, right? This question mark of like... Right, it was so funny because I was going to say something like when you said white Jews, I knew immediately there were going to be a bunch of uh, listeners being like, well, the Jew- I, I'm not, I don't consider exactly. myself white. You know? Exactly, and so we have multiple layers to this conversation just to throw out the layers, right? So one, there are, you know, on coastal coastal American Jewry, we have, let's say, and and pardon me if I offend anyone, it's more of general terms and not necessarily to box anyone in. But let's say we have, you know, um, the more liberal, like it's a, it's a really difficult field and it's complicated. And I guess I'll preface by saying that on the one hand, yes, we definitely believe, um, I believe in a world where, um, where really we can make our sukkah big enough for everyone. And, and I believe in a world where really we can create a platform where no one or nothing needs to be left out of the conversation, um, and I, I do. I think that we have the ability to, to with progress and slowly, we can build language and vocabulary for what a diverse uh, platform could be, where we're honored and valued for how we live and how and what we believe. Um, but with that, like at the same time, affinity. And I say, but like affinity groups, how you identify, how you feel, people being able to feel strongly and take very seriously how other people identify them and how we identify ourselves within context of how other people identify are all important things. And so, you know, to say that all Jews are white would be absolutely unfair to say that white Jews as a term, again, within the black white dichotomy of America, largely the Eastern, largely the Jewish community is, is European, Western, Eastern European in North America. And so in North America's black-white dichotomy. And that in those terms, yes, most would just call the Jewish community of North America white. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I'm not white and you're not white. Um, I, I have passed for white, um, you know, and even and you don't, which is funny how, you know, I have African blood. My, my ancestors were slaves on this soil in mm-hmm. America. Um, and yet, <laughs> I, you know, how we both present, you would be more likely to be um, well, profiled at, at, you know, security at an airport <laughs> than, than I would. I would more likely have drank already a full cup of coffee probably before you get through security <laughs> in context of um, how race functions in this country. Um, and yet I can say very passionately that there are Jews who feel, yes, I have been drinking the intoxication of, of privilege for the first time. Um, this is the first time in society where I'm not marginalized and I can just flow through society as white. And so I'm going to take advantage of that. And therefore I can't identify with the suffering of people who are marginalized because then somehow it will remind 
the people who are viewing me as white that I'm maybe Jewish or maybe I'm also a marginalized group. And so there's tension around around the, that that as a platform. Then there's also, you know, attention around, again, people who have recognized that and saying, I'm so sorry, I do have white privilege. And they maybe are not building space or moving forward, moving forward the agenda or the needle for the organization. They recognize these and they use the language of privilege and they use language, all the, you know, the, the jargon that sometimes can be offensive or unclear to someone who doesn't view themselves as racist and, and, or not understanding how them being affiliated with X, Y, or Z makes them less or more racist. Like those, mm-hmm. right. There's like, that's the, on the liberal side of things. And and then we have on the more conservative side of the Jewish community. Yeah. I mean, as someone who was raised mixed race in Muncie, New York, like I can tell you that like, Unfortunately, we we are not immune to societal issues, and therefore, just how racism exists very prominently in American society in systemic ways. Unfortunately, I would unfortunately, yeah, I would argue very strongly for that that racism exists in the Jewish community, and I would say that there are lights and there are gems, and then there are leaders who who are very like aware. And I would also say that largely the Jewish community has done a, a better job in the last three to five years, um, to, to create platforms, um, you know, that, that really all are welcome always, um, you know, to create platforms where, where I, oh, I just know that coming in here, I'm safe and that I won't be assumed to be someone that I don't, that I'm not. And, and where, where I could have a mic if I want, where I could get involved if I want, where I get called up to the Torah if I want, where, where I'm not assumed to be someone's nanny if I want, <laughs> like where, you know, yeah. and these are all real things. And, you know, the, the Jewish community is mobilizing in a different way. And I think that on the one hand, there's, there's gratitude in that. And on the other hand, like we've been here for a very long time and, um, these voices, you know, I wrote a song as a musician, like I, I write songs sometimes when I can't express what I'm trying to say in words. And, you know, as we speak about voices and I know that Chavria is also like, you know, the, 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 the platform of Nishamas or the platform of just the Chavria posts in general and the blogs, like, it's not like these people's voices weren't here before Chavria. Like they mm-hmm. totally were here. Like these voices have always been here. Like it's just, there's never been a, a mic for it. There's never been a platform where people can be taken seriously. There's never been an urgency, you know, for people to be taken seriously. Yeah, that's um, that blows my mind because it seems like what's interesting, like, for example, you brought up Neshamas, like, one of the things interesting about that platform for me is, like, seeing how a lot of people treat it as if we created those voices. Like, like especially when they get angry about articles, they're like, you know, it's like, like you're like as if you know what I'm saying. Like that yeah. they think like that it's we're like for example like we're trying to indict the Orthodox world or something because like, there's a lot of Orthodox writers there that are expressing their pain in in their lives and um and I think that's and 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 also one of the things you see is as abuse has been more and more uncovered in the Jewish world. I think like another reaction is that like it seems like a lot of people interpret it as it's a recent thing as opposed to like very obvious. Mm. It must be very, like it should be very obvious that abuse has been happening since like the beginning of time. And we haven't really dealt with it properly, you know, until very recently only started to address it. Right. And so it's so interesting to me because I just think, 
it's interesting because a lot of people are afraid of these voices coming out, you know, like, and as, as well with minorities. I mean, you could, it's just, it's just amazing to me see, to see how much backlash there is. Like, yeah. to, and today we, there was, I didn't want, I don't want to mention a specific article, but there was a person who wrote an article about being abused and the person, a person commented, I deleted the comment, but the person commented like, um, like there's no way this is true. Like you, you, you must be lying, you know. And it's just like it was almost like cartoonish, but it was the person was serious. And I just think we're there's a, a fascinating back and forth that we're experiencing right now, mm-hmm. like of giving people a mic, and also, but also, it takes a lot of work to give people a mic. I think. Yes, I mean, like, and that's what you're doing with Bachol Hashanah, with a lot of the stuff you're doing. Yeah, and you. <laughs> but I'm saying, really, I mean, I, again, yeah, I mean, I would say that um, going back to systems, like, right. you know, w- when we come to a place where 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 suddenly it feels like it's no longer safe. I mean, and, and I know for anyone who is a little bit exhausted by language of like safe place or safe <laughs> space and anyone who's rolling their eyes as they hear this, like, <laughs> like it's a luxury. If you, if you're not thinking about it, it's because it's, it's something that you have thank the Lord been privileged to experience, like where you don't have to think about what kind of, how you're going to forget how you're entering into a space. How are you going to feel when you leave? Like, are you going to feel depleted? Are you going to feel like this is probably the last time I'm going to go to a place like this? Right. And so I personally, guess what? Like I'm undercover, like (laughs) I pass for white. Um, and I have family members who don't, and I have loved ones and friends who don't. And ultimately they have to ask that's that question when they go somewhere, like, is it safe for me to be a certain way? And so what I think Chavria does is it helps us recognize for all people that it's not a question of race. It's not a question of LGBT. Listen, populations that need our help, it's not a question of ableism and people who who are marginalized because they, whether their faculties of, of how they think or see or speak may be different, right? Those are all populations that need our help. It's really just a question of, is who I am enough for my community? Mm. And and like does is my story legitimate enough of a of a Jewish story within the context of the collective Jewish experience? Because really what we see is like there's there's like you said, there's pushback on some level because there's there's the the narrative that we're painting as a picture, which is not a bad picture. Um and when things come up that just don't fit <laughs> nicely into that it, it it calls upon the the authors of that story to reflect and maybe rewrite certain chapters that could be really painful i don't know if you've i haven't written a book but like i'm sure rewriting chapters i know you're a writer so something has to change and you've put so much into it yeah. that's like a scary thing so a lot of our community you know um there are way more you know um I would say informed people who can speak to this than I can, but I would say that, um, you know, when we look, when we look at the things that are going on in our communities, right. And we're looking for platforms that are, are, um, trying to, to shift how we talk about 
our differences in our communities where I think largely the Jewish world is, is realizing, wait, like something's happening in, in North American Jewry that makes us feel like we're driving towards a cliff, right? And, and a part of that has to do with the fact that you, we have generations, literally generations of people that are pushing back against, um, you know, a, a collective narrative that doesn't fit with theirs. And so that could be LGBT, that could be racially and ethnically diverse Jews, but that's really just a generation. I'm saying it's really everyone. It's really saying that there are multiple access points. There are different ways that I can come to who I am and there aren't systems in place for, for me to experience that, like as a creative person, right? Mm. Right. If I'm female and I'm a singer in the from community, it doesn't, uh, without touching the halachic parts of that conversation, just is there a platform for that child to express themselves musically, right? Like, and largely, no, it's not SNES. <laughs> so even in female audiences, some of the more modern you know, places will uh, will find opportunities and platforms for their girls and women to sing and dance and party. But like, you know, so so that question of like, is pushing back against these voices because they're different and they are causing us to have to reflect and refine and change everything about our institutions, um, or as like Rabbi Sid Schwartz likes to call them legacy institutions, you know, the places right. that have been holding together the Jewish front for the last hundred years, 80 years, mm -hmm. 120 years. Um, and so, yes, the, the, the real thing to say, I think, and it goes back to this idea is like these voices have been here for, <coughs> for thousands of years. Like our voices are new voices. They're just, they're being heard differently in, in different generations, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. I think like, um, I was, I was literally just sitting, uh, speaking to, uh, Chloe Valdari. Yeah. Um, and she's on a Hebrea cast. If you guys want to listen, um, but Soul <laughs> sister. yeah, you guys are close. Right. And, yeah. um, yeah, she's, she's, I mean, listen, you know, she, she's someone who really thinks about this a lot when it comes right. to, you know, systemic change and, and um, how we really think about and envision um, like the future that we want versus also recognizing that there's data and things that we have now to show us that we're, we're going in a direction that we could steer away from with the right team, you know, and Chloe's big on that. That's interesting. Yeah. So she like connected to that. So she, we were having this whole conversation about like, why are people feeling like really existential right now? Um, on both ends of the spectrum, like intense, intense feelings of like, the world doesn't make sense. Like, um, you know, just feeling of instability, you know, obviously there's things happening in the world that cause us to feel unstable. And I think, but I think that there's also something very deep going on that you touch on, which is like the idea of narrative. It's the, you just sparked this just because I, w I was literally using the same exact language. I was saying like, the thing is, when the reason, for example, I think that a lot of people like, like actually you basically said this, so I'm, I'm kind of reiterating it, but like we build, like the way we understand the world is through narrative. Like as a writer, I see it all the time. Like that we, we, the only way we can really understand what's happening to us and, and what's happening around us and what's happening to the people we love and all these things is, is through a story that explains it. Right. And like anytime 
we go through life, like that's part of the reason that like I, I tell people like that writing is very healing because especially if you're writing about like traumatic or painful experiences, it creates a story for you. You know, I think like, um, I had all these crazy things happen to me in my, like when I was in college, like a near death experience and all these things. And I think by writing about it, it created a narrative by which I could understand what had happened. And even if the narrative like to others would not seem accurate, um, to me, it was what helped me live, you know? And, and then we have people coming out and, 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 and now we're a lot of people's narratives and I'm talking, it doesn't matter. I mean, one of the things is just the, what's the word, like the mainstream narrative and within the Jewish world, within America, there's all these mainstream narratives, right? You know, Columbus was a good guy and all these things like, um, that, that's how people make sense of the world. So it's like what you're saying, it's, 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 I think it's like extremely profound what you're saying. Cause we're, we're, we're talking about like really upending the way people look at, at their lives, not just, and, and that's what people I think miss about this whole discussion and why it, it comes off as political. And yet it's so personal, you know, it's, um, I don't know. Um, and I think that this is why there's this pushback, but it's also why, that's also why it's so important for these other, ironically, as much as it's painful right. for the people hearing it and maybe upends things in their lives, like, and that's why there's so much pushback. On the, on the other hand, the other side of that is that there are all these people that have a narrative of their lives that they have to share or else they're not living, they're in the hospice and regretting mm-hmm. their lives, you know? And so if we don't find a way to reconcile all these narratives, not that we have to have the same narrative, but reconcile them and allow them to exist. I don't know. I just think we're yeah. in tr- in trouble, you know, if mm. we don't. And I think that that's what's happening is kind of this. How do you hold in one hand like that the world is a good place, most men are good men and all these things. On the other hand, to hold that on, like the vast majority of women have had some sort of sexual harassment, sexual assault that's happened to them in their lives, you know. That's like an intense thing. If you haven't had to face that at all your whole life, to have to face that is really painful, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting as, as these movements form and take new weight in our generation, because, right, as we're saying before, that these voices have been here um, for thousands of years and that, and that the, these systems that have been built around narratives, mainstream narratives, like we, you know, we as people are called upon to, to, to raise our own voices and to share the narratives of others. Right. And to, and I think sometimes some of the difficulty, um, as a Jew of color, um, often in, um, white Jewish spaces, and I'm going to use that language again, um, you know, is when you speak about your narrative, you, yes, people get excited because they, people ultimately, like you said, you know, we want to we want to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're trying to be good people, and they're trying to really raise the banner for social equity. And so, the com- comments after giving a talk somewhere, and where people will speak about their own stories and how that fits or doesn't fit into the Jewish context, usually when someone you know speaks about their story and when they feel passionate, and if they push back against your story or another person's story because of their own story. It's, it's this idea that they're kind of being triggered by generations of maybe not being heard, like where they're speaking for their ancestors almost yeah, where, yeah. where there's this, um, this relentless like need to 
be seen and heard and to be understood. And when people try to identify sometimes with people, with others, um, that understanding is doesn't become a priority. And it really, this, this does enter into the conversation of like what allyship looks like also, you know, and, and it enters into the conversation of like, how do we support our friends who feel marginalized in any way? And how do we experience our own, our own identities and how that fits or doesn't fit within the central or main narratives um, of our community, you know? And, and again, like, I feel, you know, personally, I feel empowered by my ancestors when I speak and, or if I feel like, um, my narrative is being threatened. I usually think about my ancestors and I say, no wait, like this is the first time that I can speak up and seek out racial, racial equity and social equity. Like mm. my family's, my ancestors before me didn't have this opportunity. Like I, as a Jew of color who passes for white, who's a rabbi, who's a social worker, who was raised Orthodox, who's big tent Judaism, who's, you know, and I go into all these different kind of corners of our communities. I say, oh, like, even though someone feels threatened by me and the things that I just said about my identity and, and what that does maybe to their identity, like, I know that I need to speak up and I know that my narrative will, it, it will be a medium. Will it lead to solutions? I don't know, but will it start a conversation? Will it bring people into parsing out these nuances of whether or not, let's say you're a Jew of color or not. Right. And like, whether or not, um, I'm a, I'm a person of color or not. Right. <laughs> um, all these kind of questions based on society's identity markers, mainstream narratives and where we fit. Yeah. I think it's, it's complex. Um, but I also think it's like an, an encouraging, it's a call also, it's a call for, for us to realize that by us bringing up, our narrative, we reframe what a Jewish narrative looks like by us telling our story, like by me saying that, like my having my cousin being, you know, her name Carol Robertson, one of the one of the four girls who was murdered in the Birmingham church bombing of of the '60s that led to Selma and all these things with Dr. King, right? That was my cousin, like, and I get to claim that as a Jewish story wow. because that's my story, mm. and and even if there is somebody who is living under some rock in some Jewish community who would never call that a Jewish story. I am allowed to push back as an individual and say, my story is an important story. And I, I can do that because I feel empowered. But then what about all the people who don't like who've tried to share, but the sound system gets shut off or they tried (laughs) to share or they're just people just turn their back. Um, Yeah. So I, I, I do, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's an opportunity. The fact that we live in a, in a generation of so much dialogue around this topic, even though there's pushback, even though there's threats against each other about what, how, like who gives you license to identify however you want to identify. Right. And like, even though there are, you know, that's like the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, cause I have. I have friends and family and people who would, who would see me as a white Jewish kid, you know, and that's not how I identify. And when people talk about, um, you know, race in the Jewish community and I, and I say, I passed right, but I didn't have a white experience. Like, why do I say that? Because I, it's, it's not my, I don't want you to get the story wrong about who I am. I have friends who are identified as LGBT and they somehow, I've, I've heard a few friends of mine tell me that they somehow feel like they need a come out to strangers when they speak to them within like the first 
and maybe this is not the experience of everyone, but this is the experience that I've heard from multiple people who identify um, with being LGBT and, and saying that I want people to know who they're talking to, my whole self. I want my full identity, mm. my whole self. I want, oh, I, so how could I talk to you if you don't know that this super important part of me is central to my identity? And, you know, creating, creating a platform for that is a part of the pushback. If someone pushes back against you, then we have the, the, we need to create that safe environment where, okay, like, or where it becomes normal to just have a conversation about what makes our dif- uh, ourselves different. Um, there's, th- again, it could lead, and with this, I, you know, I'd love to hear what you're thinking, but, you know, it could lead to a, a, an unhealthy um, dial, you know, rhetoric. And like you said about um, politicizing identity and... Um, what could lead to an unhealthy... Uh... I, think, I think the more and more we... I think on the one hand, the importance of dialogue... Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because it's very new for a lot of people and because of just the, the context of, and political climate of 2018, like it could lead, if we don't navigate these conversations in a healthy and, a, and a productive and thoughtful way, yeah, then it could, it, it could really hurt a lot of people. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have the conversation. Do you mean like being more specific? Like, what do you mean that could hurt other people? Like, what could hurt other people? You know, I mean, you were mentioning before about like um, when we politicize identity, when uh-huh. somehow someone's identity, um, where where someone could use language of "you don't understand me" mm-hmm. um, because you're X, or oh, I see. You know, where somehow your identity could be used against you. Um, like when people are like, you're, you're white, so you can't understand yeah. my, ident- like, and it becomes like, kind of like a, like a club or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I realized that could be used in two ways. The word club. I meant like a weapon or something. Oh, but got it. It could also be used <clears throat> right, as a club. club or, like, right. <laughs> but, right. um, it's like when, you know, a lot, like a lot walked into a bar and he said, ouch. <laughs> right. right. Kinda, exactly. Dang. Yeah. Um, but like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the things like, like Chloe talks about a lot, I think. And I think that's, I remember she wrote like an article for the New York Times where she said, like, I'm not going to stop talking to someone because they're, they're white. Because there was someone who was like, and there was like this whole Twitter storm thing about how um, like this person just gave up on white people or something like that. And I think like, hmm. um, it's just interesting. Yeah, we're, we're, one of the things that's, and I think this is what Judaism I think has to offer is like that balance between what existed before and creating something new. Cause I think there is a lot of truth to the idea that like, we can't, we can't just destroy the old narratives. Like the old, the, because, uh, because first of all, it, there's so many reasons. Like, I think that first of all, there's a lot of truth to old narratives. Like, it's just that they need to be added to not, uh, not necessarily destroy. We do, we do have to address like problematic things, but I don't think, so I think the point being like that, being able to balance, you know, the old with the new voices, the, the, um, the hidden with the revealed voices. Like if it becomes like a, a thing where the whole goal is just to flip it, then what are we really going for? You know, mm-hmm. but I don't know. That's my opinion on that. I like, but I think, yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's like you said, I think it's all so new. We're all just trying to grapple with what the hell is happening around us <laughs> in a good way, yeah. in a really good way. But I also agree that it's like dangerous, but I don't know. 
you know, we see that there are com- the, the, in the Jewish community at large in North America today, we see that there's a dramatic shift happening with how we approach um, community, how we engage with our, with, you know, with our different constituencies, you know, and whether that's on a synagogue platform or a school platform or an organizational platform. And we see that like you have these uh, establishments and institutions like, you know, JTS and OU and YU and HUC and all these flagship legacy, you know, organizations. And then you have all these like new age um, mm-hmm. grassroots decentralized leadership um, where, you know, where things are really happening there, it, it's a, where, where the values are about utility and individuality mm-hmm. and accountability and giving people authority over, you know, the things that they care about, like in that context to have this conversation feature means that we need to, um, we need to think about like how we build the conversation both on an organizational establishment, institutional level mm-hmm. and where they participate and then also where the grassroots and, and there's, there needs to be more of a dialogue between those two platforms, the establishments and the grassroots, um, because the grassroots are really tackling this a lot more about social equity, about recognizing and, and the establishments are, are very aware and they want to be relevant um, and they want to stay relevant for the next generation um, but they're the questions of the 20 teens, not 2018, but the 20 teens in general <laughs> are are very important years for Jewish establishments of North America to really consider like how they want to be a part of these conversations. You know, that's so funny. I was I was literally just um, interviewed by someone for I probably shouldn't mention because it's not coming out yet. But like it was about this person was talking to me about. Facebook and the Jewish world. She was like very interested in this. It was a journalist, and we're talking about all these different approaches. And and, and I was saying like one of the th- and it was interesting because it kind of almost came out through the interview. I was like, I think it's such a shame like that people don't realize you know because so much for example like all the stuff we're talking about like I I would in my opinion I think there's been a bunch of cult- obviously cultural things that have brought us here, but I think it's been sped up by the internet like unbelievably mm-hmm. like all these voices that we're talking about like you know have been given these voices partly because they were able to organically create online a community you know and obviously i'm talking on a very personal level but like also minority voices the me too movement is literally an internet movement like a social media movement anyway so we're talking about all these new communities that are developing online and, and that sort of thing and and she was asking, like, do you think that, like, how do you think the institutional institutions should approach these communities and, this, and these sorts of things? And I realized it's like they don't take them seriously at all, and that's so sad. I think even the a lot of the people within those organ, like within these online communities, for example, don't take their own community seriously. Like, you know, there's all these like incredible, like, um, God save us from your opinion. Like, there's all these like incredible online communities also incredible organic like you're talking about offline communities and some that are both and, and these sorts of things but the point being like i was thinking about it i was thinking how silicon valley the reason that it was so successful is because they married like power and money with um creativity and innovation and like out of the boxing and also the opportunity of the internet but like those by if it was just a bunch of guys like who were really good at programming like there and who were able to build cool things silicon valley would still be really special and be really amazing but it would be like a niche thing and it wouldn't 
have transformed the world completely for better and good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, for better and worse. But like the point being that it was because a bunch of rich dudes with like VC, like who run portfolios and like all these things were, were like, oh my gosh, there's so much potential here that we have to use it because for them, maybe it would just make them a lot of money. But I think a lot of them were also like, this is going to change the world. And I want to be part of it, you know? And I was saying like, imagine if the Jewish world was like that. Imagine if like all these institutions right. and these people were like, wow, look at what is happening. This isn't like, yes, it's a challenge for me and stuff, but like, look at the opportunity here, you know? And I just think obviously, you know, we're like, at least I, I and that's what I think actually makes, you know, a lot of times we like to say like people are people and, and all these things and everyone has the same problem. Every community has the same issues that they deal with, which I don't buy. Yeah, every generation know? said that their yeah. generation was the generation. Right? But like, I don't buy that because like, if you look like there's Silicon Valley is a perfect example of like, no, you don't have to be like this. Like we don't have to do it like that. And not only that, when you don't do it like that, you change the world, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, Society has definitely changed since, you know, global interconnectivity and how we look at how we use the Internet. And it's, you know, I believe there are studies that have already shown that generations have shrunk, um, you know, no longer averaging, let's say, 25 years, but maybe 10 to 15 due to technology, due to access. Right. So, yeah, like the the social network is its own subculture that on some level has more mobility than all the other ways in which we've domesticated society. And so there's all this undoing and unlearning and, and new learnings that are taking place through the internet. Um, right. That are really, that are really changing the entire way in which we, not just how we relate, but also how we organize. And, you know, I think, I do think that, I think that the, the social media platform, um, like you just said, it brings, it brings these voices to the center. And again, the other concern of it is that sometimes it's not a, cre- a credible, somehow the establishments um, or anyone who's doing, you know, data-driven work have not yet figured out how to use social media as a credible um, metric for engagement. And somehow it's not enough yet, or there's no language for it yet. Um, you know, but another yeah, thing there's is no language for it. No language, yeah. There's one thing that you said that I just, you know, I wonder, like, what would the establishment say to to your point of maybe they're not doing enough or anything when it comes to um, engaging with marginalized groups or engaging with groups that fit out of their narrative within a social media context? Like, do they think they're, you know, are they making waves? Are they, I wonder, like, wh- wh- when it comes to foundations and when it comes to all these these big... Um, you know, flagship organizations that are, that feel like the, you know, the fate of the Jewish community of North America is in their hands, which all of the grassroots organizations would say, mm, maybe last generation, you, it was more true. Now we're, we're going to take, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move forward with, with our plans too. You know, that, that kind of fragmentation of like not taking each other seriously enough, like do you know of and have you th- heard, you know, or, or thought about what it would look like for the establishments to reach out more towards, you know, towards the grassroots, um, you know, and, and in your conversation with that journalist, with that person, like what would be a good way of seeing those conversations kind of develop between the grassroots and the establishment? Because ultimately in 25 years, 30 years from now, 
will these flagship organizations still be around? Probably, probably. Will their voices be relevant? That's up to them um, and how they navigate creating symbiotic relationships with grassroots organizations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that, that I mean, I don't know. I, I, like, to me, it's like, <laughs> I feel like we reversed uh, roles. <laughs> no, I want to hear. Podcast. But Listen. I think, like, um, it's like, to me, it's pretty clear. We, we got to stop soon. But I think, like, one of the things that's really clear to me is that we can't know what it would look like. Like, that's the whole, that's what I, I think Silicon Valley, again, can teach us, is that what we need is people that can build things and sustainable things, like, as you were talking about. Like, Sorry, what? Sustainable? Sustainable. Like I know. A, you want me to explain it? No, sorry. Okay, go on. <laughs> But no, now I know but what I, it means, yes, so I can no, use the word a, and I feel good. It's a big word. It's an important thing yeah. to think about. But point being, like, that's, I mean, I think that's the thing, is, like, this idea of um, innovation means not knowing what's going to happen. And I think that is what is scary to institutions, because the whole idea is building, we've lived in a world that was very much more stable before this, and now we're in a world, a world of instability. And so, or we're going through a stage of instability, I should say. Like, and that means embracing that we don't know what's going to happen. Like, and and putting the needs of people first before an end to where we want them to end up. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, for example, like when we started Hevria, one of the things that we wanted was like to create, make the Jewish world more creative. But the more we did that, the more we learned that by doing that, when you are trying to empower people to be creative, by the very nature of doing that, you are going to give voice to the people who most need it, if you're doing it right. Like, the, like that's why we got a million pieces about abuse, because there were all these people dying to write about it, in, especially in an orthodox context, which we, we had big orthodox readership, so they were dying to write about it, and so that's why we started Neshamas, was because of that need. We never would have known that we were going to build that when we started. Um, and that's like, that's part of what is happening here. And I think that's part of what's difficult for bigger organizations to understand and embrace mm -hmm. because, you know, we're talking about number metrics, like all these things, like it's part of what we're talking about is going into the unknown. That's what, that's what all these, these, uh, what was the word you were using? Um, grassroots organizations are doing like they're they're willing to go into the mm. unknown that's what they're yeah. doing like they're they they're not most of them don't start off being like this is the metric that we're going to decide success by and this is they're like no there's a need that we have to fill and we're going to just work our butts off to do that so imagine if that was combined with resources and the resources were like aimed at at, the, at, le at least at the very beginning of like just do it right do build a good product quote unquote you know build the right organization yeah. and then we'll worry about what happens. Right. That's, that's how you build something, you know, um, in, in today's world, I think, um, yeah. especially something new. And we're so concerned with like the ends. I think, I think you're, yeah, you're reminding me and it, it makes me think about my dear friends in Washington Heights at the base community, mm -hmm. um, you know, and talking about need and recognizing that, that somehow creating a plan without having the people in the room, <laughs> for what you think the needs are without having people in the room sh share with you what they think the needs are would, would be a mistake. And largely the way the base started was a living room conversation of people who just felt like they weren't getting what they needed. 
right? To live a, a spiritually meaningful and fulfilling life. And, you know, the base has gone through many different iterations and, and versions, as you can see on the website with like the story of the base. Um, but, you know, who knew that like today, you know, we would, we had 250 people for Yom Kippur. Um, and I know Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur, but, but the programming and the way the capacity of the base today is that it went from, again, a small group of people who are just expressing a need for connectivity um, to feel a part of something. And, and ultimately, by expressing, like you just said, by expressing that need, by simply just saying it, um, you, you do a chesed, you do something for other people to, to then recognize that they can voice similarly. And that's how, like you said, the grassroots, that's how we build out the field, you know, um, asking people what they need, asking, like, really, it's like a crazy thing, you know, to get on a conference call, to plan a whole thing, right. Um, a whole weekend or a whole week of events, but to ask people what they need, um, you know, to like to ask Jews of color what they need, let's say to ask like, and it's not, you know, it's not saying that you need to sacrifice what you need to have someone else what they need, right? To ask people on the margins or people even at the center just to be thoughtful about people's needs to make sure that they could lead a spiritually fulfilling, uplifting life in their Jewish community and to, yeah. and to perpetuate the, th- the, th- the values of our communities. Like that, that's sustainability, asking people, right, um, those questions, you know? Um, and also the not the unknown. I, I really love that. Like um, it really that really pulls at my heartstrings because you know when I think about um, and and many of my coworkers say it similarly when it comes to our organizations. Like you know it's a five year plan. Like how could I? Yes, I understand you need a five year plan so you could give me this grant. But like at the same time, we also know that the world is changing so fast and that we want to build an organization that's addressing the gaps and the needs of our community. And if the gaps, like you said, generations move, movement, all these different things taking place when it comes to how fast the world has become with internet and technology, like how could I commit to you what I'm going to do in five years from now when my constituency is so malleable and changing. And so the unknown is like something that, um, I really, I really, um, I don't want to say I appreciate, um, obviously, there's stress in it, but I think there's something deeply beautiful about the improv of, you know, community building and the the it's it's exciting. There's a renaissance going down. You know, there's something new. There's a there's there's a craft where where minds are coming together to build out the field for the next generation, and you know there and from the top to the bottom, you have engagement like you've never had when it comes to figuring out what innovation looks like spiritually, what it looks like intellectually. Right. And, um, I think that's super, super powerful. Like that we have this, we have this generation that we get to share a generation. And I mean that when I sit with you in this space, like to know that I share a generation with a thought leader who's thinking about sustainability for, of, of our, I mean, maybe again, that wouldn't be the first word that you would use, for, <laughs> but I do, I do think of like sustainability for, yeah. for personal expression, for creative expression right. and That's recognizing really how important it is to making sure that, that all of our mommies and daddies that are currently in college, <laughs> can be those people if they choose to be parents or if they don't still, they get to be thoughtful leaders that we're cultivating. We're cultivating those voices. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. 
Sorry, I want to keep talking. I have so many I ideas. Yeah, but yeah, no, we we, we, gotta... we bounced around in a lot of places. <laughs> it was great. Um, it was great. Um, do you want to like plug anything? Yeah, you know, I I'll tell I'll tell all my friends um, that I'm also a musician, oh. and and you know one of the things that it's funny, you know, the Chavria uh, podcast. It's very much like Chavria in the sense that it's an explorative process. <laughs> and as much as, like we just said before, we can define goals, I think it's amazing that the, you know a lot of the conversations that we, we just had are things that I wasn't intending on some level of speaking about, um, you know, and in my own identity, not, um, not that I'm boxing myself into one identity marker or another. You know, I, I, thought, I thought I would speak more about my musical yeah. um, journey and, and thoughts, and those are things that I hope to share with our community. And you got to come uh, on again. You know, we'll, we'll have, yeah, we'll have, first for number 60. So you have to do a <laughs> round two over there. Um, um, we'll see. And, and so, yeah, so song, song for me is uh, definitely, I really see it as, as one of the ways that we get to to really start to, um, offer healing, um, and to place, to place nurturance in our community as we go through these transitions. Um, I think that song has been used in the past, um, for such practices. And I think, so one thing that I'm in the middle of doing is I'm about to release my first, um, album, my first music project under the music name of Rabbi Zaya. Um, and when's that coming out? Um, hopefully this month actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Can people find you. Yeah. Rabbi Zaya.com. Oh, okay. Um, and cool. Rabbi Zaya on Facebook and we'll have all the, all those kind of details, nice. um, to come soon. And so I don't, I didn't want to pitch that by singing a song from that, but I did want to share with you, um, a song because it, it was in many ways inspired, um, really, really by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton, but then, but then, secondly, Chavria, um, in, in a real way, and um, and what it was was, you know, when I was in high school, I used to write poetry a lot. Mm-hmm. I had like five subject notebooks filled with poems and poetry, and in my more emo and dark stage, um, and I I lost this like notebook filled with poetry, like some like it was just devastating. And I didn't write poetry for a very long time, and I started writing songs, and I didn't think of it as poetry per se. And I didn't focus so deeply on my lyrics, um, as much as maybe I could have. And I came to one of your creative abrangans as around so many people. And I realized that, um, the power of having an instrument and for some, there's so many reasons, um, it's powerful. Um, but one of the things that I also felt was that it's a shield on some level that mm-hmm. it allows me to kind of, um, you know, as much as writing could be vulnerable um, and, and sharing songs can be vulnerable, it, they, you, I feel like I could hide behind my instrument. And so I was in a space where I felt like I was somehow dishonest to the <laughs> integrity of the, of, the, of the gathering because, like, wow. people are sharing about some, like, really serious stuff. And then like, <laughs> and then like I bring my, like, rock reggae song. And, like, and I'm just like, wait. Like, and so... And I went home and I was like, you know, and I, people were sharing poetry and stuff. And I was like, you know, like, come on, dude. Like, what, like, why don't you write? Like you write all the time. You write songs, you improv songs, you, you know, you're, you write articles like you can write. Why don't you write poetry? And I was just sitting there. I was like hating on myself for not really taking on that, that mantle for myself of, of poetry. And, and from there I was like, you know, and being inspired again by social change, um, 
and through the, and through the arts, what arts can do for social change. Um, so it was like a combination of like listening to a, enough Hamilton, um, <laughs> combined with, uh, mm. with really like, you know, the, the artistic community that exists through Javria, yeah. um, that maybe was like, you know, I should write a rap. So this, this <laughs> you song wrote is, a rap? Yeah. Wow. So, That's awesome. so I've, I mean, I would love to share it. Does, does this make sense? Should I just, just go for it? Totally. Okay. So it. You we know, do have to end like after that though. Okay, yeah, yeah that's totally great. For, and for anyone who made it this long in our <laughs> podcast, here here is a song called "Show Me the Way." Brother, please take my hand. Sister, help me understand and show me the way. Show me the way, show me the way, Dugun. And show me the way, show me the way, show me the way, oh brother. Please take my hand, sister. Help me understand. Show me the way. 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 A devastation reign, morality's been slain, so much going on in my brain, it's insane, performing past imperfections from a life that isn't me, Uncle Sam's demands, constitutional casualties, it's time we start to bring the thunder, why wonder we wait in the straits, complicate our fate left asunder, so take my hand fam, it's time we split the sea, march at dawn, united strong, we're destined to achieve, brother. Please take my hand, sister. Help me understand and show me the way, show me the way, show me the way. Show me the way, show me the way, <laughs> show me the way. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I interrupt? No, never. And yeah, it's just this. Uh, show me the way. You know, it's 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 collaborating and bring bringing voices together to strengthen each other's voices. Um, so it's only the bracha that we should have multiple platforms like Chavria Cast, like Chavria in general. And all the organizations that were were mentioned and not mentioned, but like all of us really should just like realize that it's one of the most beautiful things we can do is just by saying like, "Hey, like, take my hand, like, help me understand, like, show me the way, show me the way, show me the way, show me the way, show me the way," because each of us have different ways, and and it would be so beautiful if we can show each other that and help each other understand and really walk hand in hand. So. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Isaiah. It's so good to have you. Thank Let's you a again. lot. Number yeah. 60. <laughs> Number 60. I can't wait. Take See you guys then. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivria.com or facebook.com slash hivriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City. 
And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Kal, kalad, kalya, darmay.